This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I am joined by Mawera Karatai in Fakatani. Kia ora, Mawera. Kia ora, Sam. How's it going? Going very well indeed. How's it going there? Good. Um, it is. We've had quite a few days of wind, and I'm a bit over it, I have to say. Wanting to start riding my bike, so I need some still weather. That's okay, because that then you will be inside, sheltering from the wind, writing. Yeah, <laughs> that's exactly right. I will be in Dunedin in a couple of days, having that exact conversation with you in person. Looking forward to that. <laughs> I'm looking forward to that as well. And who are we introducing today? Uh, today it is my absolute pleasure to introduce Ruth Gerzen. I've known Ruth since um, about a month after I moved to Fakatani, which is some 20 years ago. Um, she uh, comes from the uh, Wainui area, which is uh, on the Portuguese side of um, Ohopi Beach, um, where her and her husband are hugely involved in, in our local community. Um, Ruth is um, has been involved in community development, inclusion, social justice, uh, training, um, anything to do with um, equity and improving outcomes for everybody in our community. Um, She is a true warrior in our community, actually, when I think about it. So it's really lovely to have you here today, Ruth. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks. Thanks very much, Mawera, and good to meet you too, Sam. And I might say, Mawera, I just don't think you got up early enough this morning because I was out on the harbour on my paddleboard and it was beautifully still, no wind at that time. Oh, you're so lucky. I, I did probably not get up early enough. I need to start getting up early, I think, to beat the wind. <laughs> that was great. So, Ruth, how has your bubble life been? Well... I, you know, Sam. I, I guess personally, I, it, it's all been good, um, and I can't almost feel guilty like that because I know that so many people are doing it so hard. Um, but here, living on a on a farm with my donkeys and you know cows and all the other bits, we we got out. We did a lot more farm work. My husband was home more because he wasn't working, um, and. I guess in New Zealand too, we were blessed during that particular month of of the really, you know, the the level four lockdown with stunning weather. Uh, So that made it all a lot easier. Um, In terms of my work, um, I'm part of an organisation called Eastern Bay Villages or Te Kōkōru Manakitanga, it's the Māori term. And basically, we're a bunch of old people uh, trying to support each other to stay out of the rest home as long as possible. 
Um, so we use our skills to help each other in a, in a community development style. And we became a, a, an essential service during that time. So uh, we recruited, we were very lucky, we had got some volunteers of younger people who would go from place to place for us. And I did some of that organisation from behind the scenes. That seems like such a good organisation. How did that come about? It probably came about originally because I I had an uncle. He wasn't actually my uh, a blood relation, but he was a friend of my parents when I was young and helped me learn to ride a bike in that. And he was in Auckland, which is about four and a half hours drive from here in the city. And, and when his brother died in his 80s, he really had no living relatives and very few friends um, left. Uh, he left work early. He's a lovely gentleman, but he never joined a club. He never joined a church. Um, and he became extremely isolated as he got older. So for about 10 years, every six or eight weeks, I'd go to Auckland and spend time with him. And then more as, as he got older and was in and out of hospital, he, he died at 90. Um, but a lot of my friends were doing the same kind of thing. Uh, we realised that the way things are happening now in the world is that there are, at least in the Western world, people are, are travelling. Our kids are, if we have children, and fewer people have children, um, they're in, you know, overseas somewhere or they're not necessarily staying home. They have to leave to get jobs and, and they travel the world. So a lot of people are ageing alone and becoming extremely isolated. And if you... I mean, I've heard that if you're over 70 and you gain one new younger friend, you, uh, you're then supposed to live an extra two years. So <laughs> we thought it'd be good to try and get some young people to join. We haven't done so well on that tack yet. Um, I have had to say to some of my old friends, look, you know, I may not have so much time for you now because I've got to concentrate on young people. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's not working quite like that yet. So but, what does uh, it yeah, so, hmm? so what does it do it's 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 not a, a social service, is it? It's it's much more about the community. No. Yes, um, uh, with I have a real concern about the rise of social services in our lives because they make us into what I term a passive recipient of care. So you sit around and wait for your caregiver, and yet, what keeps us alive and keeps us moving and keeps us happy longer is when we have a sense of purpose and we're able to do things for one another. So ours is a membership organisation to give people a sense of, of belonging. And when people join, we ask them what skills, what abilities, um, what can you do for other people, um, and what can we do for you? So it becomes a two-way um, reciprocity is at the heart of it. Um, and we always make sure that no matter how disabled someone might be, there's always something that they can do for other people, and we, we find a way of making that happen. Is that sense of purpose an important part of, of keeping people in the community? Yes, and also for their mental health. It's hugely important um, because there is quite a lot of depression among older people. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's essential, I think, for our mental health. So how did people fare during the, the lockdown? I was surprised, actually. The government kind of painted people like me over 70 as being the vulnerable group. You know, we were going to be um, need a lot of extra help and we had to be kept at home and, you know, all of the stuff. Uh, but, in fact, we're a really resilient generation who probably some of the older members have seen things like the war in 
the depression um, and some hard times after that too. So it wasn't actually like that down here for people. But, you know, we're lucky because of the community we live in, we don't have people in big apartment blocks, where, you know, all of that stuff. We actually have people who have gardens and can get out and it's a small community. People talk to each other. Um, we... Uh, we tried to keep that spirit of reciprocity going and our the, the young ones who joined us during that time as volunteers would go from one member to another. Um, so they'd be sharing jigsaws and uh, Sudoku puzzles and uh, flowers and fruit and, and vegetables and some would bake cakes for each other. Um, so whatever. So so we kept that reciprocity going during that time. But we, we also got a bit of extra funding. So... We went well beyond our membership to places where we knew there were a lot of um, older, uh, isolated people who weren't well off. Um, and there are groups of um, small units around our community with people in that situation. So we went well beyond our own membership um, to to take on people, supporting people there too. And sometimes there'd be someone, I remember one of our volunteers saying that she found a, a woman uh, and Tania Tua, who uh, had been changing her phone provider at about the time when lockdown happened and didn't even have a telephone. Uh, it wasn't just the net that she was uh, missing, but she didn't even have that. So she had to go into her home in the end. She wasn't supposed to, but she did, um, and and sort out her new phone provider and make sure that happened. This is uh, some of other, we, um, we talked them through how to use their smartphones to Zoom each other, and we had Zoom coffee mornings. It took a long time to get people onto using the technology, but they began to adapt well to that too. Significant and went out and photographed a number of people in lockdown to try and... Um, and then I got quotes from them about how they found lockdown, and we now have an, um, a display in town of the photos and their comments. And, uh, yeah, mostly quite positive. Um, you know, people, uh, I'm really over this life and this is like the past. People stop and talk to me now. Uh, people are coming past on their bicycles. My neighbour came over. I hadn't spoken to my neighbour in years and they came over and offered to mow my lawn um, or to do my shopping. You know, there was a whole sense of neighbourliness that came out of this that uh, we want to make sure we retain. Okay. Let's take the first of your music choices. Let's have Etu Kahikatea. Why this one? Uh, I love this um, song because it is about the Kahikatea tree and the Kahikatea tree um, has its roots that spread out and the the different kahikatea, when you have, you always have them in a grove, and they their roots mat and form, and they support each other. So it's kind of like if we stand together and we support one another with other arms around each other, then we will be strong. That's that's really its message. And to me, that's a message of how community should be and can be, and certainly was here during um, the lockdown. And Part of what we're trying to do in our organisation is to strengthen that, that community.
the Eastern Bay Village is part of a, a national movement? It seems like a, a thing that everybody should be doing. No, we're not, actually. I, this is the first one here in this country that I know of, um, and it could well end up being a kind of template for other areas. Um, we have services for older people um, and that get government funding uh, and contracts, but um, not something that focuses on that reciprocity and doing it for each other. And I think we've, I mean, we would like to see more research around this, but I think we have already in just two years shown that we can make a huge difference in people's lives. And I mean, we have numbers of people in our community who are retired, but still have huge amounts of knowledge and ability to share things, whether they're um, builders or plumbers or social workers or nurses, you know, retired nurses, all of those kinds of groups of people. Um, have still have energy to do some of the things and share the, their knowledge. So we've got a group of, um, for instance, uh, nurses and um, pharmacists and others who have come together and learnt um, advocacy skills. So that because there's a, a huge discrepancy here between Māori and Pākehā health, and we want to make sure that uh, people um, support Māori to get access to good health services. So. Yeah, that's the kind of thing that we do. We get we find out what people's skills are and bring them together to make something new happen in town. You talked about showing we can make a difference and you talked about going out and collecting the stories. What do you think is the role of those positive stories, that positive storytelling? I think it's hugely important that we do bring that. I mean, I was really delighted when I saw what people had said and that it does counteract that narrative from the government of us vulnerable older people. Um, you know, I think those stories of how we all, all our diverse community um, contribute 
to one another um, is is really important. And the more ways we can get storytelling happening, the better. I think that's uh, yeah really important. Is that something you've always done? I've done. I spent a lot of time, yes, recording stories. Um, started with children's books and children of different cultures back in the eighties, early eighties. Uh, but I have also um, been part of various projects and books uh, where people with disabilities um, have told their story, or people with mental illness have uh, done that. So that, yeah, I think I have had a bit of a history of that. So I enjoy enjoy getting that happening. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, nā mihi aroha nui, kia koutou, kotaoha. All having the best day, beautiful superstars and beloved universes. I really, really hope that wherever you are and whatever's happening around you, this journey that we're all on together is proving to be very rewarding, very sustaining illuminating for you more and more each day who you are a triumph of nature's perfect here making things better thank you so i've had a wonderful day and of course i've been very excited to talk to you all about it i've been really struck today about how we are all contributing on an ongoing basis to our social co-evolution i had a wonderful group visit me today from the sustainable enterprise degree and we did a circle of love where we all passed around the beautiful takahe stuffed toy and we were out in the sun the takahe stuffed toy was flying through the air everyone was laughing and smiling and i just love how we as a species we're so good at inspiring each other and changing how we feel and it's as simple as smiling at each other when we smile our brain gives us all these happy chemicals when we see a smile we want to smile too it's so easy for us to influence each other i love it and so of course the safer and more relaxed everybody felt the more they were able to share who they understand themselves to be at this time what's motivating them to do their work and it was really fantastic and then after that there's more social interaction i mentioned gave conservation manager alton smith his birthday socks and they are all the colours of Otokanui Eco Sanctuary and hidden inside one of the birthday socks was a little kaka badge. And so when he tried on his socks, he got a surprise and it was very exciting. Then he took our wonderful manager Amanda Simon and I for a wee adventure and we went to visit Waimaria the Takahe who's sitting on her first nest, which was very exciting. So we were very, very quiet. We carefully approached the nest in the middle of Takahe Island we didn't disturb her but we just looked in very carefully through the tussocks and we could see her wee red beak in there and hopefully next week we might be allowed to handle her egg and then we'll see if she's got a wee baby in there which is so of course i love being at orokanui and being able to have these ongoing relationships with all these different life forms then in the afternoon i went to visit one of my wonderful friends wasp woman aka Dr. Jenny Yant, who's an amazing, amazing scientist who works with, of course, our ancestors who began all this social behavior, the wasps and the bees. And I really love Dr. Jenny for so many reasons, but one of the reasons is she's a real champion for these species of wasps that, of course, many people have had a tricky time with, and that's often because we're encountering these beautiful 
relations of ours, when they're in defensive mode and they're very protective of their loved ones, just like we are. And so here they are, they're going around the rest of the time doing this great service for the natural world, the real world, the living world, breaking down, decaying life forms to return them to the earth, eating what some people consider to be pest species, all these beautiful bugs that are living in our veggie patch. And of course, performing pollination, moving around, helping with that nutrient cycling process, all these things that wasps do that are so integral to the ecosystem. And in fact, we can all relate to these feelings of defensiveness and wanting to protect those we love. So speaking with her more today, it was a wonderful opportunity to reframe a lot of my perceptions around wasps. And I was just really struck by, of course, how this social process that we're all a part of now, it's been going on for so long. And I'm just so grateful that we can be part of it and learn from each other more and more, whether we are a beautiful fungus or a beautiful fungus gnat or a beautiful wasp feeding on a fungus gnat or whatever it is. It's just a wonderful, wonderful web to be part of. So I really hope whatever social interactions you have been having today have been very satisfying for you. And I'll look forward to talking to you tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakite. You're listening to Blowing Bubbles. I'm Samuel Mann with Mawera Karatai, and we are joined today by Ruth Gerzon. So what sort of ways have your community members added to to the community life? What's interesting about a community development organisation is you're never quite sure where it's going to take you next. (laughs) Um, But we're very democratic, so we have a core group that meets once a month and anyone can come, whether they're a member or not, actually, and they talk to us about what they want us as coordinators. Now, there's, there's me as a coordinator and there's Joe, who's a poarahi or the Māori coordinator working alongside me. So they'll say what that, what topics are important to them, what they'd like uh, if they want a public speakers. We normally have once a month. Um, I write for the local newspaper about issues of importance for um, old elders, seniors or whatever you call them now. And... Uh, and so, so last year, I think it was about a year ago, they were really interested in funerals. So we, I wrote about alternative funerals and natural burials and um, different possibilities. And then we organised a meeting where we had the local funeral directors and some people who'd done their own funerals. In fact, I have organised funerals for a couple of people. You don't have to use a funeral director here. And... And I'd always been interested in this because I read a feminist thesis by Jean Herrer from 1995, a PhD, in which she wrote the history of funerals and burials and how men and the professionalisation of of funerals, just like there was professionalisation of birth, you know, they so um, men kind of took over the funeral practices, both in Māori and Pākehā society, from the Fano. I mean, even my mother-in-law in England used to lay out the bodies of the dead in her village. So it's, traditionally, this was more of a woman's uh, role. Anyway, we had this, uh, we had a public meeting and, and on a very, very rainy winter's day, we absolutely packed. We had more people at that meeting than virtually any other meeting. And certainly old people are very, we often go to funerals when you're older. <laughs> 
um, it's just one of the um, the issues that happens. And um, people were very interested in how can we set up some alternatives. And one of our members had been working on this for a couple of years, and another person turned up who has had invented a new um, a system for New Zealand. I think it, the Dutch use it because they're not allowed to embalm, which puts chemicals in the soil. So they have a thing, it's a bit like a refrigerator on the side and the coffin's put on top of that and it keeps the body cool during the, the tangi or the funeral. And of course the tangi can be three or four days, so you need need this equipment. So he's made it and adapted it to for better use on a marae. And various other people were coming together. There's a lot of interest uh, in for Māori who are weaving whāreke to wrap the, um, the body in now. Um, local men's shed are starting to make their own and decorate their own coffins. Uh, there's lots, lots of alternative ways of, of having funerals and obviously funeral services. So we had a number of members who are funeral celebrants and had other interests in this and we came together and they said, look, we want you to set up um, an alternative funeral service which is not run by funeral directors in very formal style and wearing their penguin suits and things that they do. We want a family-led um, or whānau-led funeral service where the family determine how things happen and it's much more in their control and we can use uh, environmentally friendly alternatives like this atimira uh, mato uh, or cooling pad underneath the coffin. So uh, for the last six or eight months now, I've been on a journey. We got a little bit of funding for that um, to to uh, bring together all the diverse people in the community to set up a funeral service, uh, which will be much cheaper. Um, probably about a, a quarter to a or more less than a quarter of the price of a normal funeral and uh, we'll be a totally uh, we'll have we won't have funeral directors we're going to have funeral guides not quite sure what the Maori term is going to be for that yet but um, you know we want someone to guide the whanau not to direct them uh, we, and uh, we're not going to have a lot of premises we'll probably just have a shed to store everything in and and work in people's homes so that was the plan. We started that plan at the end of last year. And then in February, one of our members' brother died uh, in a rest home in Rotorua. And um, she said, look, can you just do something for my brother? So Honey Thrupp and I had been on this journey for a while. Uh, we said, right, we learned about it and we were pretty scared about it. But we thought, oh, between us, we work together, we'll do this. So we went to the rest home and we supported the family to prepare the body. Uh, we used an alternative to a coffin that had been developed in, in uh, Tateko by a Māori guy there that they're now using on Marae. And um, the Sati Miramata or calling pad, and we took him to Minganui to his Marae. And, uh, and yeah, it all worked really well. It was, um, and they certainly want to see much more of that happen uh, once we've set up our own service. So that's just part of it, you know, with this community development approach and we just find members in the community, whether they want to be advocates or help with this. Or uh, There's another group that are helping build a, um, helping a young family uh, improve their home at the moment. Um, so whatever happens, we're, we're open to it. I'm interested in how you take a 
positive view, because you were sounding quite excited about that, about something like funerals, which is hard to see as, as inherently positive, but maybe they should be. Is that something which you do all the time? Is is that um, sort of basing things on a positive vision? This is how it can be. Let's go and do it. What's the what's the mindset there? I don't. Yeah, I mean, I tend to be pretty positive, and I tend to be solution focused. I suppose, um, but I also take my lead from others in the community because there's nothing I can do on my own. All I can do, and probably what I'm quite good at, is listening to what people want and then putting quite diverse people in the same room together um, and just watching their interaction and how they connect and they then enthuse each other. Um, and that's the way you get a new project going, by, by just getting the right people into that room. And then getting out of the way sometimes. Yes, that's right. It's not It's not about me in any way at all. It's just getting the people into the room and watching what happens. And then maybe sometimes I have to go out and find a bit of money, a, a grant here or there to make something like that happen. Um, so that behind-the-scenes stuff I have to do, yeah. So we've seen lots of societal change over the last few months. What do you think is going to stick? And perhaps more importantly, what do you hope will stick? I worry that not enough will stick, actually. Um, what I would hope to stick, I would hope to see um, a lot more uh, interaction with neighbours. I think that community of place, of geographic community, the people who live around you, that's what makes life good, not all this Facebook stuff and um, you know, online stuff. Though, though I must say Zoom meetings and stuff have been fabulous. Um, you know, we have... Some of the technology we've developed has also enabled some people who find it hard to leave home to interact with others. But, uh, yeah, some of that, that real neighbourhood support for one another um, is where I hope, what I hope will, will last. And the fact that there will be more cycle lanes and, you know, people are less afraid to go out in the street and that kind of thing. Yeah. Talking about being solution-focused, one of the things that this has shown us is that things can change. We can do mm. stuff. Yes, and we can certainly find a hell of a lot of money to do lots of things, and yet when people were panicking about climate change, maybe they weren't panicking enough. Everyone said, oh, no, it's too hard. We kick it down another 20 years, and you know, we have shown that we can work fast if we need to. Maybe we need to make that happen in other areas like the climate crisis. But the climate crisis doesn't have people potentially dying in our neighbourhoods. It's someone else, somewhere else. Uh, I think it's increasingly close to home. We've had some really bad floods in Whakatane. We had 200-year floods within two years. Um, so, no, and we, we've got a coastal community. I, it's not going to be long. So what do you think we can learn from this how we've responded to this pandemic for those larger scale, longer term, perhaps intergenerational problems? I've been really impressed by, um, by our Prime Minister. And I think she's shown real leadership and we need more of that kind of leadership 
in a time of crisis. We need people who can pull people together, who can talk about, as she did, the team of five million or whatever, who shows empathy when they ask people to do the hard stuff. And I think that kind of leadership is what we need to keep us in the future to help us, because there's going to be so many more challenges ahead for the next few generations. I, I worry about the world that we're leaving for our children and, and grandchildren and just hope that that kind of leadership will prevail and not the Trump kind of leadership or, you know, yeah, the fascist type leadership. Do you think that's... also come out of crisis. Do you think it's something that can be taught? Uh Yes, I guess it can be. I guess it can. I mean, I also think having more women in positions of power will perhaps bring it more of that too. I think that they're more likely to use empathy and those kinds of ways of working. Not always, but sometimes. Um, but yes, we certainly could change our teaching, our, um, our school curriculum. The be, the be kind message worked a lot as did the, the the team of of five million they didn't have weeks and weeks to work those up they didn't have um communication um focus groups coming up with those terms they came out That's real right. fast yeah how do you think that they managed to pull it off so quickly and so well I think you can only do it if it's innate in you. So if it's if, if it's in you to communicate like that, um, and I must say that I have thought with a, a shudder occasionally how different it could have been if we'd had a different prime minister like the, the guy who was the leader of the opposition had been in charge. Um, the outcome could have been very different. Let's so it is not for individual, individual personalities. Um, yeah. Let's take Golden Horse. Out of the moon,
People are talking about the the lockdown as a time of a reset. What are you hoping that we'll come out of it with? Are you seeing it as a recovery, a regeneration? What what's the what's the word that that works for you? Oh, certainly the uh, the idea of a reset um, of yes of change has got to come. We don't want to go back to the world that we had, where everyone's frenetically rushing around. Um, doing their little capitalist thing, trying to get ahead or trying to even just live and pay the mortgages with two parents working. We don't want to go back to that. We do need to to find a new way to live together um, in a way that will look after people at times of crisis because there will be more ahead. This is just, I think, a warning and a chance for us to get our stuff together so that we can manage the growing crises that we're going to have from climate change. So even if we manage to to overcome COVID, we we need to be thinking about what's next. Not in a yeah. not in a batten down the hatches, but in a some sort of thriving community. Is is that how it works no. for you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's we've got to we've got to we've got to learn from this and and use it well. So what does a thriving community mean for you? A thriving oh, we're a long way from thriving, aren't we? Um, a thriving community is one where I guess uh, everyone has a warm, dry home and uh, good education and uh, food on the table, uh, ability to contribute. Yeah, all of those real basic things, and we don't have them right yet. I mean, it's it's getting better, but there's no way that that's, that's right yet in our community. There's a long way to go. Where I guess diversity can be celebrated too. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? I think it, I've seen a lot of change in my lifetime. So, you know, there's been the feminist movement, the disability pride movement, Rangatiratanga uh, for Māori. There have been so many human rights, uh, uh, gay rights. And, 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 and things have got so much better. I've seen things in my lifetime that I never thought would happen. So, for instance, in, in Tinoranga Tiratanga, to actually be with Tuhoi at the time when they had finally had their settlement um, and the government came and apologised and they gave an apology that wasn't just a, a sentence or two. It went on for an hour and a half of, of description of all of the things that had happened that they apologised for. It was heartfelt. I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime, and I have. But I think we, while we concentrated on some of those issues, uh, we lost the big picture on the environment um, and, and the way in which neoliberalism has taken over in um, the world. So in a way, we've gone backwards in spite of having some small wins. It's interesting that um, the direction that Tuhoi is taking with the, you know, with the, the the declaring personhood or whatever it is called for the for the mountains, the the living building at Taniatua, when a community does have that vision, it it does seem to to go places. Yeah, and and you know Tuhoi and I think Fakatuia too have something like fifty years strategic plans. You know, Pākehā never, we never do that. Europeans don't think 50 years. They wouldn't even think, you know, three years and that's another election. 50-year plan? That's wonderful. I wonder what people 50 years ago would have planned for now. 
Yeah, once you once well, you get past they, the once you get past the flying skateboard the, the 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 flying skateboards and flying cars and so on. Right, I wonder. I don't know. They certainly wouldn't be happy with what we've done. How do you? I wonder how you split that. How do you when you when you're talking about community development over fifty years? You'd have to somehow take out the the miracle around the corner, the technology miracle that's going to solve everything for us. Because that's, that's yes. part of the problem we have yeah. with climate change is that there's this kind of inkling that we might come up with a miracle fuel. Mm, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's too late for that anyway. I think it's well. We're well past the date in which a miracle will save us, whatever miracle it is. And the okay. only thing that will. We can mitigate the damage, I guess, by building community and supporting one another. I have some questions to end the show with. What's the biggest success you've had in the last couple of years? Wow. Um, I think just the growth, the growth of our organisation, um, which in two years, I think we've got 130 members and a, and a waiting list of others. Um, they're and their ability to contribute to the community, the way we've been able to offer ways for people to contribute. That's been the biggest success. So we're writing a book of these conversations. It's called Tomorrow's Heroes. Mm -hmm. It's our team of people doing good work. So okay. you're on our team. What is your superpower? What is my superpower? I, don't know. I mean, I think probably what I said earlier, do, I'm a great networker. And I'm interested in what everyone does, so I find ways to bring people together, and together they then do some amazing stuff. Do is you consider? I think it is, and and it has the beauty of being real. Yeah. So but unlike laser eyes and flying, these are things yes. that people can have and skills that we can nurture. Yeah. So do you consider yourself to be an activist? Oh, absolutely. I'm actually waiting for my next um, career move. You know, once this is over, I've, I'm going to be a climate activist in my 80s. I figure I've got to finish this in my 70s and keep myself fit for my 80s. Well, be, I'm not sure what I'll be climbing or doing. I hope the climate will wait for me. I wish I could do it now. Why can't you do it now? Well, I'm rather busy doing other things. <laughs> So. <laughs> so what motivates you? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, what gets me out of bed in the morning? People ringing me up saying, hey, what about this or that? Or <laughs> can you do this or that? And me saying yes rather too often. I still am trying to retire. <laughs> so what challenge are you looking forward to in the next year or so? I think getting this funeral thing, I think that's going to be extraordinary. Um, that is, I like, I have in my life set up quite a few organisations that are new, with new ideas, and this, I hope, will be the last one so I can retire and work on the climate. Um, but, yeah, if we can get this alternative family-led funeral service, affordable, eco-friendly funeral service going, um, I'll be thrilled. That would be amazing, yeah. And I think we're well on the way. We've got such enthusiasm. And lastly, do you have any advice for our listeners? 
I think just get out there and know your neighbours and find out what other people's skills are and how they want to contribute. Find ways for everyone in our community. There's no one who doesn't have potential to contribute positively to our community, and most of them are waiting to be asked. Thank you for that. Mawira. Being, um, being in a community uh, where I actively benefit from all of the incredible work that you and all of the people you work with do is such a privilege, Ruth. Cool. Uh, you, the world is better because you and John are in it. Um, and I love the way you inspire people to just be the best they can be and just quietly go about their activism, making things happen. And I don't think that we as a community appreciate and thank you enough for that. So on behalf of all of us, thank you. <laughs> thank you, thank you Mawera, and for the work you do too. Oh, it's not, it's insignificant yeah. compared to what you do. <laughs> Thank so you. Thank you very much for interviewing me. I've been really enjoyed the opportunity to talk and best of luck to you and all the viewers on your program. Thank you. We'll go out to Bell and Sebastian. Another sunny day. Another sunny day. I met you up in the garden. You were digging plants, I took you back your pardon I took a photograph of you in the herbaceous border It broke the heart of men and flowers and girls and trees Another rainy day, we're trapped inside with the train set Chocolate on the board, steamy windows when we met Positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. 
We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu Mackenzie. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, with Mawira Karatai in Fakatani, and we were joined today by Ruth Gerzon in Wainui. We hope you enjoyed the show. I wonder why I didn't complain. You miss my eye, I wonder why. Please do it again. The loving is a mess. What happened to all of the feeling? I thought it was real. Baby's rings and fools kneeling And words of bludging trust and lifetime stretching forever So what went wrong? It was a lie, it crumbled apart Girls figures of past, present, future Haunting the heart This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.